Look at us. We have made it to our fourth episode. Andrew Mateo here, ready to bring you the latest on our upcoming Match Week 2. Hi, friends. Um, This week, we actually do get to talk a little bit about coffee. I know, I know. Super exciting. We love this kind of stuff. Um, And thank you for everyone who did send us coffee recommendations. We always appreciate it. And thank you, especially especially to to those people who gave us local recommendations. We always want to support local companies if we can. And whoever sends us Starbucks, look, unless I'm on the road and there's literally nothing else available, you know, that I don't want to choose Starbucks. Like, it's just not my thing. I don't want to pay for that. It's literally just sugar water with a little bit of coffee flavoring sprinkled in there. Don't need that in my life. But today we do have a very very important debate that we need to at least initiate. See what I did there? The little rhyme. It's the iced versus hot coffee debate. A tale as old as time. I personally always go for iced coffee. Doesn't matter what time of year it is. Doesn't matter if it's 100 100 degrees or if it's 20 degrees. Iced coffee for me is is the way to go. And I highly, highly disagree with you. I think hot and iced coffee both have a place in my life. And it does depend on how hot it is, because let's say, for instance, I walk to work and it's 80 degrees and humid. It feels like I'm walking through a jungle. I do not want to sit down and have a hot cup of coffee when I get to work. I would like to have a nice cold glass of coffee. However, in the winter, I would love a nice warm cup right from the daily grind. Shout out to you in Baltimore. But are you a coffee sipper or a coffee chugger? Because that's important. Sipper, always. See, I'm I'm a, ch- I'm a chugger, so I need that cold iced coffee because it's quicker to drink. I don't want to sit there and wait for my. And I think that I have also been to that place. I have visited you, and you have taken me there, and it was great coffee to have, indeed. However, friends, we have some fantastically exciting news for you today. We have had some coffee wrecks with with hot coffee, so always got to go iced. Um, I love the iced coffee from uh, Blanchard's local coffee shop right down the street from me. Um, Love that place. Wish they were open later. I think they closed at like 4.30 or 5. Like they're not open very late. And so that's a little unfortunate, but still love them. Given to us in a roundabout way from the U.S. Women's National Team. The U.S. Women's National Team may or may not have directly made a video because of us or for us we can neither confirm nor deny this however we are going to give you two of our most notable coffee picks from this video first was alex morgan gave us her recommendation and it is a flat white with oat milk yeah i have no idea what a flat white is uh andrew do you do you know anything about this so basically, it can be it's it's kind of one of two things. Typically, a flat white is made with regular milk, and it's instead of being a latte with a lot of milk, it's basically just a latte with a thin layer of milk on top. So basically, Alex Morgan gets the makings of a latte with a thin 
layer of oat milk foam right at the top. Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of milk in my coffee. I drink mine just black. But between the two of us, and by the two of us, I mean Alex Morgan and myself, one of us is a world-class athlete, and the other the, the other is just not. You know, we don't have to go how far opposite on the spectrum I am than her. But I, I do prefer the, just the regular black coffee. I think it really is the best way to determine the taste of the coffee. When I go somewhere, I don't want to taste what their their milk. That's not what I want to judge them on. I want to judge them on the actual coffee grounds, the drip that they had prepared for me. Coffee taste, black coffee, 100%. Now, our second recommendation is from everyone's American hero, American, Megan Rapino. Her recommendation is a little bit more akin to what I would drink. She would either get an Americano or a Cortado, which are very similar in the fact they're both espresso-based. However, she does get her oat milk, and that's where we differ. You don't drink oat milk? Do they not have that up in Baltimore? Oat milk tastes like garbage. That's a hot take. Oat milk is not good. I've tried it more than once. It's just absolutely disgusting, in my opinion. If I was going to put any kind of milk in my coffee, it would 100% it would 100% be almond milk. Oh, so okay. So you, it's not that you want regular milk. You just don't specifically want oat milk. I don't want any milk. But if I had to choose, that's what I would choose is almond. You're getting, you're getting too too complicated out here. And you're like one step away from just going to Starbucks and ordering five different things in your start in your concoction. Um, I'm pretty sure when people go to Starbucks, they just make up words at this point, And those baristas just put things together. You're not wrong. And you know what? They actually opened a, a new Starbucks right next to me. So I could walk there on the way, to, but I choose to buy local instead. Thank you again to everyone who gave us those coffee recommendations. Um, now I will say some of you did not give us decaf recommendations. You just gave us a coffee place. I have too much pride in myself to walk into a local coffee shop and order a decaf. So if we could please fix this. Give me, give me like brands for the decaf, something I can order where I'm not going to be embarrassed to walk in and say, um, hi, I would like a decaf. It, it, look, my ego is just too large. I, I cannot take that. I I need a legitimate decaf recommendation that I can order online, maybe pick up in a store, but I can I cannot go into a coffee shop and order a decaf. Same here. And besides, when you need a decaf, how many places are going to be open? Not a lot. It makes it even worse for you. All right, friends. And this is the point of the show where we would, uh, you know, talk about our sponsorships if if we had any. Uh, right now, we're still doing this for the love of the game, but we would love to do this for the love of, of the money as well. Um, Spotify, if you want to sponsor us, you know, that, that'd that be great. You guys sponsored Barcelona, and obviously that hasn't worked out for you because they have no money. Uh, Anchor, we love you. You allow us to distribute our podcast to the various podcasting sites. 
Riverside, you're amazing. You're allowing us to do this remote podcasting with this great uh, audio and video quality. If anyone else wants to sponsor us, literally anyone else, um, you know, we'll gladly take that. At this point, we do it for a cup of coffee per episode. And we're pretty cheap to start out. You know, we're going to feel each other out through the business transactions and this relationship. <laughs> but, you know, until until we get those that monetization of this podcast, we're just going to just going to keep plugging in random spots. That would be really good for a sponsorship. But now let's move on to the games for match week two. And first up on the list, groundskeepers, we have Everton versus Aston Villa. Well, look, let's just be very, very honest here. Aston Villa had a very disappointing match last week, losing to Bournemouth 2-0. Honestly, this match, the most exciting part is the managers. Gerard versus Lampard, once again, two former great players who now get to battle battle it out as coaches. Well, well, I'm still not sold on either of these two coaches in the Premier League. Um, I don't feel that they've really shown us too much so far that they can lead squads. Granted, Lampard hasn't had exactly the best squad to take over with Everton, um, especially this season with having to, you know, losing arguably their best player. Gerard, though, you know, he he should be doing a little better. That match last week was absolutely pitiful against Bournemouth. And we'll see if he can correct his mistakes this week. Overall, between these two teams, history is on Aston Villa's side. And therefore, it's on Gerard's side. Since 2019, when Aston Villa came back into the Premier League, Aston Villa is unbeaten in all six matches they have played against Everton. And Everton, as much as I hate to say this, they haven't scored in their last three visits to Aston Villa. And they've had 38 shots. One of those should have gone in. You'd think one of those will go in. And I like that you touched on how we have our Steve versus Frank manager special here. The tale is old as time, folks. It's Liverpool versus Chelsea on the touchline. These two were huge rivals back in their playing days. And it's going to be a really really fun game i think to see them manage against each other we're not expecting big things from this game both teams are coming off of losses from their first performances in match week one which let's be honest as mateo said we're not the best however aston villa does have a better head-to-head record they've played each other in total 54 times in history aston villa have won 22 of those meetings let's see if they can come back off of that loss they had in the first week and get a win but we got to have better performances from both teams what do you think i i mean both these teams are they're trying to find themselves right now right you know they don't know who they are they they thought they did they thought they had great leadership at the top but with that leadership you know you have to still gel with your players and i don't know if you've heard this but they're a lot of players on Aston Villa are unhappy with Gerard because he's a very strict manager, no nonsense kind of guy. And apparently that hasn't meshed well with the team. A specific example is with Mings, who used to be the captain, and he was stripped of that. 
because apparently him and the manager just didn't get along. Um, I do think um, last week, Everton, they didn't have a striker. Calvert-Lewin got hurt in training. That's so unfortunate. This week, Everton does have the return of Rondon. So that'll definitely help in that striker position. And while Everton didn't score last week, they did hold out Chelsea to a very close game. And Chelsea's only goal came on that penalty. So I think Everton's parked the bus with the counterattack strategy may just be enough to squeak out a, a victory here. Um, but that could just be me being optimistic. Now, I'm not as optimistic as Ralphie Parker believing he'd get a Red Rider carbine action, 200-shot range model air rifle. But I'm still optimistic. Um, I am a little bit worried uh, about Aston Villa. Coutinho, good player. But... Everton does have two new players coming in, Onana and Kode. This definitely helps the team, not necessarily with the missing striker issue, but I do think Lampard could devise a strategy that stalls out any kind of offense Aston Villa might have, and I think Everton might just be able to get a goal in this game. And you were right. That game against Chelsea, somehow they only hold them to one goal. And yes, it was a penalty. So at least Pickford and their defense was doing enough to keep them from scoring. But I think that my my opinion is that Aston Villa will come out on top in this game. I think if Coutinho and Danny Ings can both have better games, that they are going to be firing on better cylinders and actually get goals because we know we know both of those players can score seen it in the past i think that they can start linking up better this game they will have a good opportunity to actually beat everton i would say probably it's going to be a two to one because everton will find the back of the goal like you said most likely through uh solomon rondon oh you have way more goals than i do in this game um i have everton winning one nothing i don't think this is going to be a very high scoring game i think this will be a pretty evenly matched game so it can be entertaining from that standpoint. But again, I'm being hopeful, being optimistic. Everything can score once and just hold Aston Villa to no goals. Um, it will be a close game, though. And, you know, this is the early morning 730 game. So I'm not looking forward to getting up for that. Hopefully I go to bed on time tonight. It'll help, you know, if I if I have decaf instead of regular coffee in the evening. But we'll, we'll see how this goes. We'll see if we get any more recommendations from our friends and groundskeepers. On to game number two. That is Arsenal versus Leicester. Now, my score prediction for this one is going to be Arsenal 2, Leicester 1. What do you think, Mateo? So I think this is going to be a high-scoring game, mostly because Leicester has no defense. I'm going Arsenal 3, Leicester 1. Um, Arsenal did score twice last week. Um, Leicester gave up two goals in the second half last week. They don't have a defense. We know this about them. But they can score. They're very good on on offense. And no one's questioning that. We do question their defense. And honestly, I'm not even sure if it's questioning anymore 
asking if they'll play defense is like asking if Jeff Bezos will use his money for the greater good instead of on whimsical things like going to space for a full 30 seconds. The answer is no. And that is probably one of the funniest points I've heard in reference to this team. As you said, we know they can score. We They have Jamie Vardy. They have James Madison. Both of them can find the back of the net. I mean, Jamie Vardy won the Golden Boot a few years back. So we know that if he's at top form on top of this game, he will actually put goals in the back of the net. Now, we didn't, we haven't seen a whole lot of him. Yes, he got an assist in the first game that they played, but that's just an assist. And that's coming from a man that is expected to score every single game. But I will say the Arsenal in this head-to-head with these two, Arsenal have them just far and away beaten. They have played each other a maximum 32 times right now. Arsenal have won 19 of those. Leicester have only won five times. The odds are not in their favor. Even in the last five meetings, they've been outscored 9-1. to Leicester can be dangerous. They can make opportunities happen. We saw that in the first week. They made a lot of opportunities in the attacking third happened. They made a lot of shots on goal, but they could not finish them. What they need to do, and I think Mateo could probably second me on this, is that they need to shore up their defense. If they don't, Arsenal will probably run rampant and score at least three times as Mateo previously. And while I would like to second you on that, it'd be with an addendum. So that's a it's not that they need to shore up their defense is that they need to get a defense. So I, I don't see how they're going to stop Arsenal in this game. I described Arsenal last week as a controlled pinball machine with their ball movement. And I think that just continues this week. And I love that you brought up the history of this. I totally agree. Arsenal just, they own Leicester in their last three matches against Leicester. Arsenal have scored seven goals and only conceded one. And Leicester is not good away from home. In their last 25 Premier League matches away from home, they've only won two. All of this is pointing in favor of Arsenal. And I think if Arsenal uses the same game plan as last week, going through Gabriel Jesus and that quick ball movement, Arsenal shouldn't even have any trouble in this game. Maybe they have to worry about an early goal from Leicester, but besides that, Arsenal should pretty easily win this. That's very true. Arsenal are in very good form right now, and I think Arteta has good team put together. I think he's found a solid lineup. I think that with Odegaard kind of debossing that midfield and pinging the ball around as as we saw in the first match week, he was a phenomenal player. His one-touch passing was amazing. He always looked like he was a couple couple steps ahead of everything happening. And as long as he can keep doing that into this week with Leicester, the, the, he will, they will have no problem passing around them, getting the ball through to any of their forwards. It's like you said, Jesus, I think I think actually he'll get his first goal this, in this game. Um, but let's see if he can find the back of the net as many times as he makes a sad face when he gets fouled. That's a lot of sad faces. <laughs> All right. And on next up on the list, we have Brighton versus Newcastle. Now, what we can say about Brighton is that they are coming off of a high, a very good high. 
because they beat Manchester United, which, as we've stated in a previous episode, they are not the powerhouse they used to be. People don't fear them. People don't fear coming to Old Trafford. But they still be a team that has a dynasty built within European soccer. So I think this I think this will be a high scoring game actually. I think that Newcastle and Brighton both have the the power to get goals. I think this is actually going to be a 3 to 2 in favor of Newcastle. Oh, we are going opposite ways on this. Um this is actually the first game during our podcast era that I am predicting a tie. I am predicting a 1-1 tie. I could see maybe 2-2. Two, two. Newcastle they had a much easier opponent last week in Nottingham Forest. Um, they won 2-0. And Nottingham Forest looks like a team that's destined to go, destined to go back to the second division. The, honestly, it makes it very difficult to evaluate Newcastle as a squad because of the opponent that they had played. Brighton, were they were much more impressive last week. Beating United at Old Trafford. Now, a little bit of history about this, about these two teams. The two team, two clubs have played 10 times. Brighton has won four. Newcastle has won once. And for all the groundskeepers asking, but Mateo, that's only five games. Now remember, everyone, in football, you can tie. And yes, as Ted Lasso famously said, tying is like kissing your sister. Only America thinks it that way. My opinion, if you can't win in regular time, you don't deserve any more time in the game. You weren't able to accomplish it within the set parameters, the set time. You don't get anything extra. And I think a draw is an interesting call on this game. It's hard. I think it's really hard to predict a draw. Um, I think that's one of the more difficult things with our sport is specifically that draw because, you know, it could happen at any time. One team could just be off. It could be a high scoring draw. We've seen those, right? Like the three threes where now the team can play defense. We've seen the zero zeros where the ball just doesn't want to go into the net. But I'm going to come a shot. I'm going to go for it on this game. Hey, oh, I like it. I like it a lot. I th- like I said, I think that Newcastle will edge this one. They had a pretty big cash injection, cash injection, as we saw. Newcastle? And they have got... Yeah, new money. They got bought by... Yeah, yeah, see, exactly. New money. They got bought by, I believe, a Middle Eastern conglomerate of some sort and as they've they all a good, do as they all do it is seeming to go that way they have gotten a good swath of players brought in i think that they can utilize some of those and i mean really pull out a win like i said the first episode they are my dark horse to get into the top six and i think they are a great choice for the dark horse i just i need to see something against a team that isn't not a hand forest that is my only concern here. I don't want to get overly excited about this team until I can see a little bit more of them. I'm more of a see it before I believe it kind of guy. And I just I just can't believe in a team that beat Nottingham Forest. I, I definitely understand your point there. They're both typically mid-table teams, so I think we'll have a good match regardless. But we each have our opinions. We'll see who's right from the end of this match week. Well, yes, generally um, week to week we will see which one of us is right. That's going to be me. We'll see. We'll see man bun. Who I right, believe, are you wearing, man. Hold on. Are you wearing a scrunchie today? I like notice this in the camera. Yeah. Where, when I go Groundskeepers. to bed. Groundskeepers. 
I'm sorry, you what? I wear a scrunchie when I go to bed, so my hair's not pulled too tight. Is that a thing? I've never met anyone who, who keeps their hair up when they go to bed. I do not. I I am not a human being who likes my hair down when I sleep. I will put it boink on top of my head. Groundskeepers, I need confirmation whether or not other people do this. Um, I'm assuming a hair tie is a no-go because that's too tight. A scrunchie, I'm assuming, maybe a little softer. But I, I need confirmation that someone else in the world does this. And then my co-host is not a serial killer. Thank you. My hairstylist told me it's it's fine. Let's just go to the next part that has a man bun. Thank you. Speaking of man buns, our next matchup for our weekend ahead. Manchester City versus Bournemouth. I actually have a high scoring game here. I don't know about you, but it's very, very one sided. Man City four to nothing is my prediction for this game. I don't see how Bournemouth is going to stop City. They're so good at home. Also, three of their next four matches are at home. City can get off to an absolute fire start for this season. Now, Bournemouth did just sign another defender, Sanessi, to bolster their defense. Um, that transfer window is still open, so teams are you know, still figuring themselves out by literally bringing in more players. But I, just, I don't see how anyone can stop this offense of Man City right now, especially not Bournemouth. I mean, you're not wrong. They are... Playing at home, it is going to be a high-scoring game. My score prediction is actually 5-1. to one. So I think Bournemouth will edge out a goal. Now, look, Bournemouth is coming off of a 2-0 victory in the first week. Even if it wasn't that impressive of a showing, they still got a win. They're newly promoted back into the, into the league, so they're going to be riding that little bit of high. They'll have a little bit of confidence coming in. They will more than likely try to park the bus the majority of the game against a Man City because of how much attacking firepower that they have and the possession that they're going to lack might hurt them in this whole game because Man City is going to possess the hell out of Bournemouth. It was, we do, we know that from the start, Man City is a very big possession based team and they're playing against Bournemouth who just came from the championship. Do you, do you think over under Man City has 75% of possession. I think it's going to be over. They're probably going to have between 76 to 80%. 76 to 80%? Yes. Yeah, so I don't think Bournemouth touches the ball enough to score. That's my concern here. See, and I think that is, as we saw last week, Man City do like to push some of their wide defenders up pretty high. So I think if Bournemouth can utilize that part of their lineup and kind of maybe do like a quick counterattack or a long ball over, they might get up in an opportunity to score. But let's look at this part of it. They're head to head. They've played each other 10 times in all comps. Man City have won all 10. <laughs> Bournemouth have never won a game. Do you know the average score of those games by any chance? <clears throat> Actually, not as high as you think. The highest score I've seen from that is 4-0. So roughly what you predicted. So you predicted five goals. I predicted five goals. I'm going for all. We're going all in. It's going to be a it's going to be a smashing grab. Um, Are we allowed to say that in the year 2022? Yes. I don't know. I just don't want to get canceled. We're trying to make <laughs> we it to the World Cup. Sm <laughs> 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 Anyways. 
and City are going to run away with this game. And as we saw last week, Holland is off to his golden boot run. He's got two goals. I think he's going to get two more to, uh, against Bournemouth on Saturday. I could easily see De Bruyne uh, and Grealish scoring as well in this game. Um, there was something I was contemplating when I was reviewing this game and something I wanted to ask you. With Holland on this team, do you think they, one, continue to force feed him the ball? And two, do you think everyone else is going to have less goals because he might be scoring mid to high 20s? You bring up a, an interesting point. I think that with the team that Man City has put together, they are not going to just try to feed him the whole time. I think that opportunities, runs that he makes, they will. But I think because of them being such a good all-around team, that goals will still come from other players like De Bruyne, like Grealish, like, I just forgot his name. Foden. Like Foden. Not who I was trying to think of, but like Foden. Look, he, I really we know like he can Foden. score. I really like Foden as a player. I, I think he's great. I think he needs to get a better haircut. Yeah. But here's the thing. I think that's a think British that cut. I've Britain seen that before. Get a better haircut. Yeah. Get something that requires you to have a scrunchie in your hair when you sleep. Much more comfortable. But Man City are not going to let up in this game. Bournemouth, their chances of doing a whole lot are very slim. It's going to be a bloodbath. I did, I did go through last season, though, for Man City, because I was like, was four goals too much? And then I remember Man City scored like 99 goals last year. 99-96, them, them in Liverpool. But do you know how many, in how many of those games, Man City scored at least four goals? I do not know how many. Do you want to take a guess? Educated guess would say what, they play 38, 38 games. Ga- 38 games. Let's say probably... 21 of those games well dude no that's that's way too high it was 10 <laughs> you guessed over half you mean the, the lead up was that it was going to be so much higher okay but 10 is still a lot that's a fourth of the season that's a it little over a, a fourth of the season that is You're insane right. so i do think you and i are both justified by picking high scoring games i don't see how bournemouth can score though just because of the lack of touches i think pep he already had a, a great team. We know this. Not just a great team. An amazing team. One of the best in the world last year. And then when he got Holland, he completed the Infinity Gauntlet. He got the final stone that he needed. And I'm worried not just about the rest of the Premier League teams trying to keep up with City. I think Klopp can do it. Um, I think Chelsea for a game or two can do it. But doing you know the consistency for a whole season will be difficult for everyone else. I'm worried about Champions League at this point. Because... City just added arguably the best striker in the world. Definitely top four or five. So I don't understand how Bournemouth, where they're going to get their goal from. I'm not personally attacking you and your one goal prediction. I mean, it's not a lot. Lucky goals happen all the time. I just don't know if Bournemouth is going to get enough touches to be able to get the ball into the goal. I think most of their touches will come from grabbing the ball out of the back of their own net, going to kickoff, and then losing possession within two minutes. I mean, you may not be wrong, but again, if we talk about possession versus goals, well, we can just touch on that Manchester United Brighton game where Manchester United bossed possession, completely had higher percentage of it the entire time, but somehow Brighton still made opportunities happen. Yes, Manchester United played absolutely terrible, 
but Brighton still capitalized on opportunities. I think that Bournemouth will be able to capitalize on opportunities, even if it's only one time where they get just an absolute lucky passage of play. I think that they can get one goal at least, even if it's an own goal. I'll take an own goal just to see my prediction come correct. Well, I I think that's enough for this game because we agree this is just going to be an onslaught from City. Um, And we're just honestly arguing if Bournemouth is even going to get a goal, which I think that states our opinions on this game very loud and very clearly. Loud and clear, heard over here. Next game we have is Wolves versus Fulham. My score prediction is Fulham 2, Wolves 1. We were so close. Uh, I have Fulham 2, Wolves 0. Um, I could I could see Wolves getting getting a goal out of this. I could also see Wolves winning maybe one nothing. You know, if things don't really go Fulham's way for this match. Um, but I think Fulham, the darlings of the EPL right now, they're bringing that firepower from that second division into top tier football. Wolves, they gave an energetic effort against Leeds last week. We talked about that, but that was Leeds. They're not a good team. They're middle of the pack at best and more so towards the bottom half of of the table. Fulham last week was so much fun to watch. Um, And, you know, they were able to score two against Liverpool. And this week they have an easier opponent. Two goals. Two goals against Liverpool. Against arguably one of the best teams in Europe. Not arguably. I think that's just a fact. Okay, fact. Liverpool is one of the best teams in Europe. And... Newly promoted Fulham scored two goals, held them to a draw. Look, they didn't win, obviously, but I think that they are still going to be coming off of uh, some sort of high and into this game against Wolves. I think Mitrovic is going to get another goal. Don't think he's going to get two. I think we'll, we're going to share the love this game. So it will be fun. It will. I think we've seen Wolves play in the past. They are they are a hot team. They are they are a fast team. I think it's going to be a pretty hotly contested game. But Fulham edges them out, even if in previous they have not won many times that they played each other. They've met, I think, what, 12 times in all competitions since the beginning of them ever playing against each other. And they've all, Fulham have only won two of those. They have to really button it up, pull it together, which if they pull anything together, it's just going to be not allowing a couple goals to go in. They will absolutely get a win here and get three points. I fully believe in Fulham. They are facing a much easier opponent this week. Just just imagine this. Imagine being David and you face Goliath in your first week. This huge monstrosity of an opponent. And then in your second week, you're facing the lowly, the lowly drummer boy who's just trying to keep a beat for the actual army. That's what's happening with Fulham. They faced Liverpool last week. They took on the challenge. They did so well, and now this week they get Wolves. I am all aboard the Fulham Express. This hype train for this team is real, and I am along for the ride, all the way until they fall off the tracks. But I'm excited for this journey, and I can't wait to see where this Fulham Express will end up. I think they're going to end up mid-table finish at the end of the season. I don't think they're going to go back down. Who, Who... I'm on board this train, too. Let's ride. Next stop on our Match Week tour, 
we have Brentford versus Manchester United. And I think the score is going to be a 1-1 draw. Whoa. <laughs> Thought long and hard about this. Did it hurt? It hurt. But I don't I just don't see Manchester United doing anything different than last week. Because if they do anything different, Ten Hag needs to change the whole entire lineup. Because he got it wrong. It looked bad. They got beat by Brighton. Brentford came back against Leicester and ended up with a 2-2 draw, which shows that they have resolve, shows that they can really dig deep and the goals will come for them. Manchester United haven't scored a goal yet this season. Their goal came from an own goal. Well, you know, it is. It was only one game. Can't be too dramatic about this. I will be dramatic. Manchester United need to pull their heads out after that dismal display of, of the first match week. It was painful to watch personally. I think I had my head in my hands more times than I looked at the screen. And like I said, something, something has to give. The lineup needs to be changed. We, we can't see Fred and McTominay in the middle. As much as I think that they are decent players in their own right, using them, using them as they have been has never worked out well for Manchester United. Also, one thing I'm going to touch on, I'm not going to harp on it too much because I could rant about it for days, is the substitutes. They need to be used differently. They need to be not used in the 89th minute when we're down a goal. That's my piece on that. I have a different score than you. And I would also like to touch upon something that you said. But first, my score prediction. I do have United winning. Um, This was very difficult. I have them actually winning one to nothing. So not a high scoring affair whatsoever. But I think they can still pull it off against Brentford, but it's going to be an ugly game. Now, this team at this club, right, their bare minimum finish should be top six and they should be able to accomplish it. On paper, they have a good squad, not a great squad. They did they get off to a, a rough start this season. Imagine going to wipe your bum, but instead of soft Sherman, you get sandpaper. That's what happened. They, you know, they should have gotten an easy victory last week. They got hurt. It, it didn't feel good. I'm, I think they could come back, but I agree with you. I don't agree with their formation. They played, they started with a 4-3-3, right? And I just don't think it works for this club. When you're playing a 4-3-3, two things. One, you have to have, you have to have a center forward. Erickson is, Erickson's not your answer <laughs> in that position. That man is more of a supporting role as a center attacking mid or even a center defensive mid more so. He is not supposed to be a center forward. Um, I, he is someone who, if you're going to put him up top, he needs something more of a classic 4-4-2 formation where he has that second defined forward next to him. He is He's not good enough at this point in his career to be the central point up top. Second, I agree with you about Fred and McTominay. They aren't the answer in the midfield, especially with a 4-3-3 formation. Because you put Fred in the middle, you're putting McTominay on the right. These are two more so defensive mids, and that's where their strength is. They would do better in something like a 4-5-1 formation. Something where there's more 
midfielders where they can play more so that defensive midfielder role right next to each other. You don't have to worry about them getting pulled over to the side of the field. They can be that transitional point between the defense and the offense. But putting them both together means you're not going to get any offensive productivity out of these two for two thirds of the field. And then you have Fernandez on the left side. He's a really good player. We know this. But what do other teams have to do? Well, they know they don't have to worry about Fred and McTominay for anything on offense. So that's cut out. And if they want to attack United defensively, they just have to attack Fernandez on that side of the field. So there's this formation does not work for this team. Um, I think they do need to use Ronaldo. He came off the bench. And while I, while I, I did say he, that should be his role is coming off the bench, who are you going to take off? Sancho? Rashford? Like, those guys need to be on the field for this team. And I think, and this is me personally speaking, I think if they did something more like a 4-5-1 to utilize their two defensive midfielders, because they're good defensive midfielders. They really are. If they do something like a 4-5-1, they could put Ronaldo at the top. Let him be up top by himself. He's strong. He's fast. He can make those runs when you try to play through balls to him. You can have Erickson right behind him, supporting him. But this formation that they played absolutely did not work for this team. It didn't work at all, not in the slightest. And I, I do agree with you as much as I want, even want Ronaldo to not be at the club anymore. We, we score goals when he plays games and we had better opportunities when he came into the game in the second half. I think that he needs to start this game. And I think that he should be played as that, as that top striker. He He's good at it. We know he, he can do it. Whatever lineup Ten Hag decides to go with, I think that he definitely needs to be a part of it. Also, one thing I would like to say is that he should allow the he should get these young players in, get James Garner in, get Garnacho in, even get Tyler Malaysia in the new signing. That even though he's a defensive player, he will still inject more pace and more attacking opportunities into the game from our defensive third, which is sometimes where we definitely lack. But like Wesley stated, I think it's going to be a draw because we are are we're so much lacking in defensive performance, in performance basically from the top down, I think that Brentford will be able to take full advantage of that, especially with Tony. They're one of their forwards. He is an absolute masterclass at getting in inside the box and scoring. Yeah, I agree with you. And I don't know, maybe the problem is they have too many similar players or players who play in the same position, right? Sancho, Rashford, Ronaldo, Fernandez. You can't play all of them at all times. And you can, if you have just three of them, right, you start to, you bring one off the bench. And as long as everyone can have and perform an ego check, that works really well. We've seen that at clubs like Bayern, who always have two great outside mids, those wingers, and a third great one who comes off the bench. And Bayern rotates through all three of those. We've seen that for years. It can work. And it also gives these guys a break because they're just running so much in one game that it kind of throughout the season, it really works out for them. So maybe long run, you know, United might be a little less tired during games because they can just rotate through these guys. But I I don't know if that's going to actually happen. 
But, you know, why not put Ronaldo at the top at this point in his career? He's, we already know he's a defensive liability. He's not going to help you there whatsoever. He demands the ball. So if you put him up top, you're supposed to be feeding that player anyways. And honestly, I'd love to see a little bit of like, I know I said Erickson right behind Ronaldo, but that's because Erickson doesn't demand the ball as much and he can kind of serve it a little bit better. But what about putting like a Fernandez as well? Imagine Bruno Fernandez as like your center attacking midfielder. That that could be a different tactic for this team. They haven't really tried that too often. I just, this team definitely has to change something. You and I both agree on that. And they have to scrap last week's game plan entirely. Like that should not even be allowed on the on the training grounds for this team anymore. Uh, yes, you are 100% correct in that. they Last week's whole game plan just needs to go out the window. Whatever, whatever Ten Hag was trying to do, whether he was trying to get a feel for a lineup, that shouldn't have that shouldn't happen. And also, I like that you said that Ronaldo is a defensive liability, which I agree with you. But I will also one up you and say that the entire team is a defensive liability right now. That so is, why not? Why not try something new? That is true. Maybe they should just go full out offense at this point. Um, it might we, as well just play eleven forwards. At least make it oh, exciting. Wait, we only have one. <laughs> At least make it exciting. You know, like this, what they did is not going to fly. And if they do that effort again, they're going to miss Europa entirely. Agreed. And they barely made Europa this last season. I, like I said, one, one draw. I think that they're going to get stung by Brentford and it's just going to be, we're going to cascade into another season of up and downs for Manchester United. But we can come off of our sadness, Manchester United, and come into a game. Our sadness, sir. Okay, sir. just my sadness. I want to be uplifted by our next game. And what we have next for you is Nottingham Forest versus West Ham. I had no idea what to do with this game for a score prediction. I'm not impressed by either team. Nottingham Forest doesn't just need to be better than last week because they were below rock bottom. They didn't look like an EPL team. They didn't look like they were ready to compete. If they aren't careful, there's going to be some deforestation in the EPL when Nottingham Forest goes back to the second division. This team was atrocious. I've seen the local YMCA teams put up a better fight than this team did. I, I, but you know what? The, there are some hopes for this team. In last season's FA Cup, you know they had they had some good victories believe they beat Arsenal and Leicester City. That That's impressive. West Ham, on the other hand, they need to be given some credit for their defensive performance against Man City last week. They kept City to only two goals, and one of them was a penalty. I think that was very impressive. I don't know if we really gave West Ham enough credit for that performance. Um, a little concern I have about Nottingham Forest is we didn't even mention their big new signing over the summer. Lingard, where was he? He's got to step up for this team. That was a pitiful performance. A player of his quality showing up on a team like Nottingham Forest should be able to make an immediate impact. I think this is going to be a boring game. I could see either one of these teams honestly winning, but I'm going to go with a 0-0 tie. And I actually went with a West Ham win 2-1. to one. I think that they will eke out a win here because... As you said, Nottingham Forest's first performance was not great. It was pretty terrible. And I like that you touched on Jesse Lingard because he went out on loan to West Ham last season and now is 
going to be playing against them with Nottingham Forest. And when he was at West Ham, he actually did make an impact. He was scoring goals for him. He was being attacking-minded and getting in opportunities and actually helped the team secure a seventh-place finish last season, which is pretty good for West Ham. I mean, they were two points by in Manchester United. Mind you, the gap between sixth and top five was roughly 11 points. So take that with a grain of salt. I think both teams here are going to have a good showing, but I don't foresee this being an absolutely exciting game. Both teams are coming off losses in the first week. However, this is an, I think this was interesting. The last time these teams played each other was in 2014. It's been eight years since they played. And actually, Nottingham Forest beat them 5-0. to zero. I don't see that happening. There's no way that's happening I, this time around. I don't see... I do not foresee that happening either, but it is just something to keep in mind. Now, even though they have beaten them one time, I'll just say Tottenham. Now, even though Nottingham Forest have beaten them once, West Ham have beaten them every other time in the last five meetings, dating back to 2004. So it's been a while since they've played each other. I think it'll be interesting at best, but it will not be a fun game to watch. But I think West Ham will still come away with two goals win and three points. I would like to change my score prediction, if I may. Allowed. Thank you. I, I just remembered I said I had West Ham as a dark horse. And it was one of my dark horse picks this season, which means I need to do I, I need to have some faith in them. I would like you to do think, better by West Ham. I, I think they will win one to nothing. And um, I forgot how well they did last year in Europa. Um, I forgot to take that into account. I forgot, you know, I didn't have, play enough into them playing City last week. So I'm going to go West Ham winning, uh, one to nothing. I could see a second goal. I have zero faith in this Nottingham Forest team. Deforestation is on its way. As as we heard by a very funny person on TikTok, nothing hum Forest is they might score no goals. And on to our next game. This might be the most exciting game of match week two. We have Chelsea versus Tottenham. What a game. <laughs> what a game. We are in for a screamer. I but, am so excited for this. We finally get a, two big name clubs playing each other. They're not going to do it on the opening weekend. We know this. But this is has all the groundwork for an incredible match. Agree. This has the makings to be one of the best games in the first half of the Premier League, this is going to be this is going to be great. This is going to be a lot of fun, high energy, high tempo attacking. It's going to be one to watch. This is one you don't want to miss, groundskeepers. Keep an eye. Eleven thirty Eastern. Watch it on USA, or go to a local. Go support a local bar. Doesn't have to be a Tottenham bar go or a Chelsea local. bar. Doesn't have to be a Chelsea bar either. Agreed. It doesn't have to. You don't even have to be like the clubs. Just go watch a fun game. Have some beers with your friends. Now, score prediction. This might be a surprising prediction for some based on their head-to-head with each other. But I think Tottenham are going to win 3-1. to one. So, I it, I think I was going back and forth on, on this game, the prediction of this game for like 20 minutes. And yes, I had nothing else to do with my time, groundskeepers. So, I took 20 minutes just to contemplate who would win and the score. I also have Tottenham winning. I have it a little closer though. I have it two to one. Um, I I could see three to one, but Chelsea's defense 
I think is so good. Their coach has such a beautiful defensive mind. Honestly, their defense reminds me of you ever watch Avatar The Last Airbender? Of course. You know the walls of Bossing say? <laughs> How it was so difficult to penetrate through that. And then that Earth Kingdom absolutely destroyed you with their with their counters, with their counterattacks. How Earthbenders were mighty heroes. The walls of Bossing say incredibly difficult to penetrate. This team and de- so hard to score on this team. I I believe in their defense. My issue is I don't really believe in their offense. So like Bossing say that invites people to attack on them because Bossing say knows that they can't be penetrated. Chelsea has an issue where they know it's difficult to score on them, but they have a hard time scoring themselves. Exactly. Chelsea only walked away with three points from the Everton game last week because of a penalty, which begs the question, where are they going to get goals from? They brought in Sterling. Great. But are they going to keep using him as a focal point? Are they going to have the same game plan they had against Everton? Because it didn't really work. Yes, they had a lot of opportunities. Pickford had a great game, but they don't have an out-and-out striker to rely on. Lukaku's gone. Werner's gone. Those two arguably had questionable at best seasons last last year with Chelsea, where in previous they've done very well. Lukaku did great at Inter in the previous year to that. Werner also did well at RB Leipzig, which now he's going back to. But I just don't see them really getting the opportunities with Tottenham because they are a team right now that has a squad from top to bottom that is very good and they have a lot of depth as well. I agree. I do want to talk a little bit about Chelsea's strategy last week with Sterling because I think they used him really, really well. They went with a false nine, which I think he may be the perfect player for a false nine formation. Now, groundskeepers. All of you may not be as familiar with the false nine strategy. In this strategy, a center forward repeatedly moves towards the ball. And you may be asking yourselves, well, shouldn't a center forward always move towards the ball? The answer is yes. However, in the false nine, the nine, the striker, he'll, he or she will move towards the ball by going away from goal. He'll drop more into the midfield to receive the ball as opposed to heading towards goal. To describe the opposite of this, Think of how we ta- how we discussed Holland last week. He was always making runs behind defenders and towards the goal, and Man City was attempting to make those through balls between the defenders. Now, instead of that strategy, imagine if Holland came back towards the ball, towards his midfielders, with, with Holland's back facing the goal. That's a false nine. Chelsea ran this strategy last week. It didn't work to great success because they really got their one goal off that penalty. However, I think they have the personnel for this. They don't have a a great striker, a great center forward. Raheem Sterling is really, really good. And he's an offensive player, but he's more of an attacking midfielder type role as opposed to a true number nine. So I love this strategy from them. And I think it can work against certain teams. And it's really the best that this team can do from an offensive strategy standpoint. Uh, I definitely think that that will be an interesting point to watch this week because I want to see if they keep using him like that. Like you said, they do have the personnel to win games, attack other opponents. It will just be if they can kind of seam that all together 
from back to front. It seems like they were lacking a little bit in getting those chances finished against Everton. Now we know Tottenham have goal scorers. They have goal scorers that they typically rely on in Sun and Kane. I think whenever Tarleson is back, that will be interesting to see how they utilize him. But clearly, as we saw from the first game, they don't necessarily need to rely on them to score. They have other people who can actually get goals, who can get into dangerous positions, who can make things happen for Tottenham. And you can say, oh, it was against a middle or bottom table team, or we know Southampton haven't been that impressive. But look what other mid to bottom table teams and newly promoted sides have done against great opposition just in the last match week. We know that sides can perform well against the big six. So I don't want to take anything away from a mid table team, but we know that Tottenham can score. We know that they will bring the goals to Chelsea. And I think that because of Chelsea kind of lacking in a person to score for them, I think that Tottenham will take full advantage of that. Yeah, I think Chelsea's best strategy really is to play the possession game. Um, Chose to control the time of possession as much as possible because Tottenham does have that firepower. And just like the great walls of Bossing say eventually did go down in the Fire Nation, I think Tottenham has the firepower to take down Chelsea's defense, especially over the stretch of 90 minutes, right? Like it's so hard to defend for a full 90 minutes against a team such as Tottenham. We talk about Kane, we talk about Sun. But Kulusevsky is good. And now he's on the opposite side. So you got Kane on the left, Kulusevsky on the right. That's dangerous. Um, both players can score the ball. They This team loves to just make a run for it. As soon as they get the ball, watch Tottenham. All their players all run to the other goal. They are all on attack. They come in as a squad. And... I, I think they're going to break down Chelsea's defense over the length of 90 minutes. They're going to put up, I think, at least two goals. I think it's two to one. Um, Chelsea, I I believe they need to play that possession game, be smart on defense, not take too many risks on defense. And, But, you know, Chelsea does have a chance, right? Like, we're not going to count them out. And this game could easily be a draw, or Chelsea could squeak, could get the first goal and then, play defensive the rest of the game is possible. But I, I think Tottenham with their firepower, they're just going to get this win. But I cannot wait to see the chess match between these two coaches. Agreed. I think it's going to be a really good match, especially on the touchline. Um, like you said, don't discount Chelsea in head to heads. They've won 33 times of the 60 meetings that they have had with each other. So Chelsea have the edge in that regard. So I think it will be a good game overall. And I think it's going to be the game to watch this weekend. It is going to be fun, active, and no shortage of drama. Now, for this week, Groundskeepers, we have an interesting one for you. We have a Monday game, which happened more often than you'd think. So on Monday, we have Liverpool versus Crystal Palace. What do you think about this one? I think Liverpool wins this one pretty easily. I'm predicting 2 nothing for Liverpool. I think Mo Salah scores in this one. I'm going to call it. Last week, Liverpool, they took on the Fulham Express. They tied, you know, 2-2. It was an exciting match. Crystal Palace lost to Arsenal 2 nothing. one of which being an own goal. So they really, in my opinion, and that was a, that was a really dumb, or it was a really unfortunate on goal with that deflection. Um, 
I think Crystal Palace are very unlucky to play Liverpool this week because you know Liverpool has been thinking about their tie since that game against Fulham ended. And they are going to be hungry for this win. They're super mad that they dropped points. They they wanted all three. They should have gotten all three points. They did not. I think as far as Crystal Palace goes, while you know they gave up one legit goal and one own goal, they also couldn't score on Arsenal. What is there to make me believe that they're going to score on Liverpool? I think they were unlucky not to have more goals against Arsenal. I think that Zaha got in, a, in dangerous places for them. I think that they have the making to get goals. That's why my score prediction is actually Liverpool 3, Crystal Palace number 1. I think that they can get at least one goal. They also have Edward, who is a very dangerous player, can also score. We've seen him do it before. Him and Zaha actually have scored quite a few goals between them last season. But it's going to be kind of, I think, a smash for... I think it's going to be a handy win for Liverpool. I think that they're not going to have much to do in this game. I think it's going to be an easy win for Liverpool. I don't think that they're going to have much to do. But we've seen crazier things happen than Crystal Palace getting one goal. We've seen Liverpool getting beat 7-2 to by a mid-table Aston Villa team. So don't, don't discount Crystal Palace. Don't count them out. But I don't foresee them winning this game in particular. Yeah, I think Crystal Palace, I think they're, they're a fine team. They're a good team. They're middle of the table. I think what is really going against them, which is not their fault at all, is that Liverpool has just been brewing on this tie that they had from last week. So you you know Liverpool is going to come out and just try to dominate possession. They're going to play with their wingers because they're very, very good. And, and they're just going to put the ball in the back of the net. The only question is how many times. And even if Crystal Palace gets one goal, I think Liverpool can put two, three goals up in this game. Um. I think, you know, I think they might be able to score a goal within the first 10 minutes and just coming out absolutely hungry, the fiery passion that they have, and plus being pissed off from last week of not winning. So that's not Crystal Palace's fault. They're very unfortunate with this, but I think Liverpool wins this game very easily and we'll be sitting here next week talking about this match and how neither one of us was surprised with the result. I definitely second what you said. I don't think we're going to be surprised when we come back in and when we analyze this game. It is going to be a handy win for Liverpool, as I said. But should Liverpool falter or have any shortcomings, I'm sure we'll have a great clop-out segment in our next episode. Oh, um, a clop-out if they lose is 100% guaranteed. If Liverpool wins... I think it's like a 50-50 shot that there's still some kind of a clop out. True. But even in the draw, well, obviously a draw, they didn't win. There was still a clop out. I think there will be a clop out even if they win. Can't wait to hear what it is. Oh, sorry. Let me. I guess let me rephrase what I said. If there is a Liverpool loss on any given week, 100% chance of a clop out. If there is a tie... I give it a 75 to 80% chance of a clop out. If Liverpool wins, then it's 50-50. Too right. You are very much correct on that. 
But as we said, I don't think they're going to come away with anything less than three points this game. Crystal Palace is unlucky to have them in match week two. But we'll see what happens. Like we said, anything can happen. We've seen crazier things happen. I think it's going to be at least a fun game to watch for Liverpool fans because they should score quite a few goals. And that brings us to the end of episode four, where we preview all the matches for match week two. As always, Groundskeepers, thank you for joining us on today's episode of Inside the Grounds. You can find us on Instagram and Spotify at Inside the Grounds Podcast. Drop us a follow, drop a like, and as always, share it with your friends, and we can't wait to catch you on the next episode. Friends, thank you again for listening to us for another episode. We really thought this was going to be one of our shorter episodes. Uh, We'll see after editing kind of what this comes down to. Uh, Please, please follow us on all social media. Please uh, rate, subscribe, follow. And also, we are currently working on reaching more podcast platforms. And hopefully that will be up and running in the near future. Until then, please enjoy this week's matches. And we will talk to you all next week.